You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. if you'd like to take a moment to turn there in your Bibles or on your fence. Again, that's Song of Songs 8, 5 through 14. If you would please rise for the reading of God's Word. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hammon. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand, and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. O you who dwell in the gardens, with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, well, good evening. My name is Ben Milner, one of the pastors here, and uh, glad you're here if you're visiting. Um, we are finishing up the Song of Songs tonight, and uh, I have had a hard time uh, communicating. I've, I've felt like it's been difficult to communicate, uh, and this has kind of come upon me as I've preached through this, but it's, it's hard to communicate to, to what extent this is a depiction of the love of God for us as people. And when I started reading the Song of Songs, I... I would say that I thought primarily it was about the love between um, this young man and this young woman. But the more I've read about it, um, the more commentaries I've read, the more books I've read, uh, I would say that it is definitely primarily about the love of Yahweh for Israel. And then by extrapolation for us as Christians, the love of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for his church. 
So, um, like I said, it's hard to communicate that. For me, it helps to think about maybe a movie or a book you've read. Um, I know, like, Jane Eyre has a very beautiful love story. Um, so, you know, if, if you know a book or a novel, just to be thinking about that. Um, for me, it's The Princess Bride. Always, it gets me very emotional. I think it's partly because it was involved to some extent with my conversion uh, from atheism to Christianity. But, you know, the, um, I know it's kind of making fun of love in one sense, of true love and marriage. And uh, there is an element of irony to it. But at the same time, it paints this gorgeous love story uh, between Buttercup uh, and her farm boy, boy Wesley. And um, Wesley has to go off and make his fortune. Before he does that, he promises her, hear this now, I will always come for you. And then he's captured by the dread pirate Roberts, and Buttercup is sure he's dead. And she becomes engaged to the Prince Humperdinck, and Wesley crosses the ocean, and he kills this eel. He beats the Spaniard in sword fight. He wrestles a giant. He outwits a Sicilian. And he finally comes back and he finds Buttercup and um, he, he realizes that she is engaged to Prince Humperdinck and he says to her, why did you not wait for me? And she says, but I thought you were dead. And he says, uh, death cannot stop true love. It can only de- delay it for a while. And she says, I will never doubt again. And he says, there will never be a need. And um, this passage tonight is about the... Uh, the passion of God's love for his people. And when I think about that, and I think about a scene like that, um, it helps me to understand the jealousy of God for us. There's a lot of passages in the Bible about the jealousy of God that are hard to understand. So I want to try to connect that to uh, this story of the Song of Songs, uh, that God is possessive of us. He's protective of us. Uh, he yearns for us. He craves for us. These are all the terms he uses. At the same time, he doesn't need us. It's very important to say that he is uh, completely self-sufficient, the Father, Son, and Spirit. They didn't need to create anything. They were just fine. But having created us, he set his heart on us, and he is jealous for us. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that because he is so jealous, he is relentless in pursuing us. Death cannot stop true love. He, uh, He is unremitting, unceasing, inexorable, and irrevocable in his pursuit of us. So those two things, the jealousy... And then the relentlessness of the love of God. And again, I'm trying to close the series by conveying to you something of the passionate love of God for us as people that he's inspired this entire book to be about. So the, the, the song ends, the song of song ends with by far the most memorable part. You hear this at weddings a lot. I've preached on it at weddings before. Um, one commentary says it is the most memorable and intense poem of the entire book, which is filled with poems. So this is kind of the heart of the song. It's at the very end. It's uh, as the couple's getting married. Now the book ends with a marriage and uh, it's like a duet. This poem is like a duet. The more I studied it, I realized it's a lot like um, another great love story. Les Mis, you know, Cosette and Marius. And they have this beautiful duet. One of the greatest I know in, in all, of all musicals, the you know, she, uh, he says, my name is Marius. They're singing, of course. She says, mine's Cosette. He says, I don't know what to say. She says, then make no sound. I am lost. I am found. A single look, and then I knew. I knew it too. And then the famous line, a heart full of love, a heart full of you. So they go back and forth, and they sing over each other, and their melody lines intersect. And I imagine this poem as the 
boy and the girl singing to each other. So um, she says, set me as a seal upon your heart. And he says, a seal upon your arm. And then she says, love is as strong as death. And he says, jealousy fierce as the grave. And back and forth, uh, they sing to one another. So uh, first of all, a seal, it's important to know what a seal was. Um, We don't really use seals a whole lot anymore, but back then, if you wanted to mark something as your own, you would take a wooden stamp and uh, you would put some wax down and you would set your seal. You would have some kind of symbol. Uh, They're often found in tombs. So it shows how definitive they were of your, of who you were, like eternally definitive because it was in your tomb. So um, you would put like property of, uh, you know, you'd have like BSM are my initials. So my mom actually gave me a stamp to put on books, property of uh, BSM, my initials. So, you know, the, the king would like set his seal upon some kind of letter that he was sending. And that way you knew that letter was from the king. And she says, I want your name pressed all over me, all over my body, all over my thoughts, my dreams. Set me as a seal upon your heart. And a heart is the innermost workings of the person. So now remember, she wants to have her name pressed all over him. So in other words, she wants, I want to own you. I want you to be mine. And not in a weird way, um, but in a way that is uh, because she loves him so much. And to some extent, for his sake, she wants him to have her for his sake. And then he replies, and I want your name stamped over me, uh, my arms, my legs, my hands. Set me as a seal upon your arm. So it's kind of like being tattooed everywhere with the person's stamp, their name. So um, eros, you know, is the Greek word for love. Uh, Eros. uh, And uh, eros is a possessive, possessive God. He was a possessive God, otherwise known as Cupid. But the idea is with eros, there is an ownership that's not there with uh, another Greek word for love is agape. And that's the, that's the word for just a, a disinterested, selfless love that uh, is not in any way possessive or jealous. That's very different from eros. And so in terms of eros, we, there's an ownership. There's a possessiveness that God feels for us. So for instance, in 1 Corinthians 7, 4, the wife's body does not belong to her but also to her husband. And then it says, and the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to her. So when you're married, even our bodies belong to the other. It's that possessive. It's that much ownership. And I would say that a lover has a right to be jealous if someone is encroaching on their love. It says in verse six, jealousy is as fierce as the grave. So we were down at Myrtle Beach this um, past weekend. We were at Fuddruckers and... um, Every, every breath you take comes on the radio. And, and, I was, and I was asking our children, so do y'all know who sings this song? And they didn't know, which was terrible parenting on our parts that we have let them down. So uh, I told them it's the police. And um, then we looked it up on Wikipedia. It is the most frequently played song on the radio of all time. I had no idea. Um, the police have two songs. Every little thing, she does is magic. And then this song. And... Um, so we looked more into it. Margie was reading more about the song. Apparently Sting, who is the lead singer of the police, he, he wrote this song about his wife. But he wrote it when he was having an affair with his, his wife's best friend. So um, this is a song about just uh, a deep, deep level of obsessive jealousy. 
And Sting says, when people come up and say, you know, I, have that, I had that song sung at my funeral. That's, I mean, my, my wedding. That's, that's my favorite, like, that's my favorite love song of all time. He's like, good luck with that. Because that's not what you think it's about. Um, so this is about her, her jealousy. And if I read the lyrics, you'll hear why. Usually I don't pay attention to the lyrics. But uh, every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. So it's like they, they live next door, Sting and his wife, and then his wife's best friend. Uh, she lived next to them. And so imagine Sting's wife looking out over the street or another house. Um, every single day, every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. So he wrote that uh, after he had, he and his, uh, his lover went away to the British Virgin Isles, uh, leaving his wife behind and... I guess he wrote that to uh, just express what he was feeling from his wife. But I would say she was right to be jealous. I don't know what he was thinking when he wrote the song, but uh, jealousy is as fierce as the grave. And I cannot imagine the jealousy of God for us when we are flirting with our idols, with uh, false lovers. Uh, you see it a lot in the Old Testament. When the wrath of God, is a, it's a term for God's anger, it's a scary word, wrath of God, but the wrath of God is just an expression of his possessive, jealous love for us. So when we love our salary or, or, or beer or golf or porn or sports or cars, when we love those things more than we love God, there's an eruption like a, like a solar flare. You know, just, there's this eruption of, of jealousy from God's heart. In James chapter 4, it says that God yearns jealously over our spirits. The word yearn and jealous back to back make for a really strong idea. He yearns jealously for the spirit that he has put in our hearts. So he's not your granddad. You know, he's not a grandpa. He's not grandma. Uh, He's not easygoing, mildly benevolent God. That's not what God's like. Deuteronomy 4.23 says, be careful not to forget me and make for yourselves an idol For I am a consuming fire and a jealous God. He's an inferno of passion for you. And the jealousy is because he wants to possess and own you in the the most beautiful sense that he loves us. He has set his heart upon us. And if somebody or something inserts itself between God and us, his lover, you know, watch out. Uh, He will not take kindly to that. If, if it, even if it's a child, which is which commonly the case, or a spouse, or, your, or fitness, or fame, or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's usually a good thing. And you put this thing, maybe even passion for God's kingdom. You know, maybe even being a preacher. But you could put anything in that place. And if it's between you and God, he will attack that thing. And his passion will erupt in flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord in verse 6. Yahweh, the very flame of Yahweh, it says. And it's shortened it to Yah. So in some translations that are really literal, it just says the very flame of Yah, meaning like God's name, Yahweh, but shortened to be more personal. The very flame of Yah. So the, the hottest, most fiery romance in the history of the world, you know, Han Solo and Princess Leah, or Jack and Rose and Titanic, or Romeo and Juliet, or whatever you have, is, is like a tiny little charcoal grill compared to the passion of God. I watched when uh, Grayland, the Grayland estate burned down. It was uh, 
We lived over there, the Grayland Estate. You probably didn't know that it did burn down, but in July 22nd, 1980, it was actually a Wake Forest dorm room back then. And some students had a party and they let something go with some flames in it and um, it was burning. And I was like 100 yards away and I could, you know how your, 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 uh, your like vision gets distorted by the flames? Like I could see the thing through these flames and I could feel the heat coming off of it. And God is not polyamorous, okay? He's not into polyamory. He's not polygamous. He is not into coexist, or it's kind of like you do you spiritually. You can do whatever you want. If you've seen those bumper stickers, that's not the kind of God we have. That would be like more like a granddad God, but our God is a jealous God. And it says in verse 12 that she is like kind of boasting where Solomon is offering all these lovers, thousands of lovers, and she's like, my vineyard is my own, so you, Solomon, can take your thousands. And that's, that's the love of God. It's, it's very much uh, just two, the two of you, you and God. And uh, when your idols start being burned away by God, just remember that that's what's happening. He is, he is not going to stop pursuing you. He's relentless. And that's the second point, that he's a relentless lover. It's the strongest force in the universe. You know, galaxies, they are held together by gravity. Uh, Atoms themselves are held together by the, the, the electrons orbiting the nucleus. They're held together by electromagnetic forces. Another powerful force, even stronger force is the nuclear force, strong and weak, which hold together the protons and the neutrons at the heart of the atom. So these are the, these are the most powerful forces of the universe, but love holds it all together. You know, even if it's a multiverse, love holds the entire thing together. Uh, there's a song by a band I love called King's X. That's, the title is, It's Love That Holds It All Together. Um, it, it holds the entire universe together. Uh, death back uh, in the ancient Near East was personified by this god named Mot, M-O-T. And um, the great god Mot would swallow the god Baal the god of fertility and life, to show that death ultimately prevailed over life. So there was an ancient Near Eastern ritual where the god of death, Mot, would swallow Baal. They would act it out in some way. But this says in verse 6, love is as strong as death. So in other words, it, it transcends even dying. It, it goes beyond death. Tiamat was the god um, of floods and Destruction and, and the waters of the deep. So Tiamat was also an ancient Near Eastern god. And Marduk was the god of order. And again, Tiamat was thought to destroy Marduk. Tiamat was stronger because they thought chaos was stronger than order. But in verse 7, the same language is used. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. And so in both of those phrases, the author is playing on these ancient Near Eastern gods and saying that love is stronger than moat or Tiamat, or Baal, or Marduk. Love is the strongest of all the powers, of all the forces, love is the strongest. And there's something inherent in love that is relentless. It's a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever, as the Jesus story Bible says, uh, which is going to be our next sermon series, by the way. But uh, C.S. Lewis has a great line um, from Mere Christianity where C.S. Lewis says, Uh, That love songs from all over the world are filled with vows of eternal constancy. So I was thinking about that um, and I was listening again down in Myrtle Beach 
And uh, Rick Astley comes on, 1980s song, Together Forever, you know that song? And I was just thinking about the lyrics. I was like, there's another one. Um, of course, Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner uh, in Bodyguard. I Will Always Love You, I think, was also in the top 10. It might have been number four. So I, you hear, I will, that's on the radio all the time. And I will always love you. I'm not going to sing it, but, uh, you know, that, um, that is another vow. Every single good love song or love poem has some vow that this is going to be forever. Uh, Zendaya, I think is her name, to Zac Efron, uh, you're made to be mine and nothing can keep us apart. It's relentless. Or then Ben Rector. I was just looking up. I just typed in like always yours. Or something. That's all I typed in in Google and all these songs came up. Uh, I will always be yours. This is Ben Rector. Run through flames, push back fate, break down walls. You can imagine in your head another whole set of songs with these vows. They're just inherent in the nature of love. It just comes out. This is going to be forever. You cannot imagine a love song where I'll doubt that I'll leave at some point. As long as it feels good, I'm in this. Um, or I'm mostly yours till something better comes along. You're not going to have any love songs with that kind of language in them. Because as Lewis says, that everlasting promises are inherent in the nature of love. So when you get married and make a promise, you're not really adding something on top of love. It's just love being fully expressed. That's what a marriage vow is. It is the natural extension of what love is. And so death cannot stop true love. Uh, Chaos cannot drown love. Nothing can stop love. Money cannot buy love. You know, that's, that's a Beatles song. Uh, I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. In verse 7, if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. All the wealth would be utterly despised in comparison to love. You can be extremely, extremely wealthy and have a loveless marriage and you'll be miserable. Or you can be extremely poor and have a great marriage and you'll be happy. Money, has, money is like not even close to, not even compared to the power and the joy that love brings. There was a great uh, ad campaign by MasterCard in uh, 1997, the World Series. I remember seeing it. So it has a a kid and his dad at a baseball game because it's the World Series. And it says this. You've probably seen one of these commercials. It says two tickets and it shows the kid and his dad buying tickets and it has at the bottom of the screen $28. Two hot dogs, popcorn and soda, $19. One autographed baseball, $45. And then here's the tagline. Real conversation with your 11-year-old son, priceless. And then the, 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 the final thing that always shows was there are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. And I saw um, a British spoof, and it said, new designer outfit, 250 pounds. New lipstick, 35 pounds. Evening bag, 90 pounds. The look on your ex-boyfriend's face, priceless. <laughs> some things, there's some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. And this is saying that Eros uh, is the most valuable thing in the universe because it's literally from God. That uh, not, not agape, but we're talking about romantic love here. That romantic love, that the poem is specifically about romantic love. So don't try to make this about uh, agape love. This is about eros. And it's saying that the most powerful thing you can experience in this life is eros. Okay, so now if you're, if you're single, 
uh, or if you're in a bad marriage or if you're divorced, that's really painful. And this is where I would say that this paradox comes in. Uh, I just want to underline this again for the last time in the sermon series. And I've said this every single sermon, I think. But the thing is that single people, people who are not married, who don't have great experiences with Eros, in many ways, they are the most likely to understand the real source behind Eros. Um, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 7. He says that if you're married, you get more distracted. And you might have some taste of Eros here and now, but you're probably not going to yearn for the real thing as much. Because the real experience of romantic love is between your soul and God. That is, that is where romantic love is really uh, fully on display. And um, the historical fact is, and I've said this, that the most powerful, uh, most popular, most enjoyed book by all the celibate Christians who intentionally dedicated their lives to never having romantic love with another person, um, the, the monasteries, the convents, their favorite book was the Song of Songs. Because these people, these monks and these nuns who dedicated themselves to never having a romantic relationship with another person, they loved the Song of Songs because they knew that it was about the love of God for the individual. And what married people can easily forget uh, is that, and I speak as one, that nothing in this world can really give you the full experience of eros, of romantic love. Uh, that we, we can be fooled into thinking we have it right now, which we don't. Because the song does not end with a, a husband and wife and a picket fence and a dog and the American dream. It doesn't end with happily ever after. She's not in his arms, married, uh, with children running around um, and you know, on the porch on rocking chairs. That's not how it ends. It ends with yearning, which is really important. You would think the Song of Songs would end with happily ever after, a married couple. Now they've got Eros and everything's great. But instead, in verse 13 and 14, she says, Oh, my beloved, lingering in the garden, let me hear your voice. She's not in his arms. She wants more. She's not satisfied. It's intentional that the book does not end with satisfaction. Um, Verse 14, make haste, my beloved, like a gazelle on the mountains of spice. And mountains are are a, a word that is used throughout the Bible to refer to something of longing, a place where you meet the gods, a place where uh, your soul yearns for more. I don't know about you, I've got a lot of dreams with mountains in them, because mountains are places where you want more. Uh, They're like a symbol of heaven. There's like a longing and nostalgia. There's like a homesickness that you feel even when you're looking at mountains or in mountains. And so the song ends by asking us, you know, simply, do you ever miss God? Do you miss the fact that he's not really fully here yet. You can't see him yet. You can't touch him yet. Um, There's no way you can ever smell God. Your five senses will not capture God yet. Not yet. That's why there's yearning here. You know, Psalm, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 63, and it begins by saying, uh, my soul thirsts for God, my flesh, my body, my soul thirsts for him, my body faints for God. Like my body... My body is dying because of my lack of God. It's like I'm in a dry and weary land. It's, it's like, where is God in this world? Now, where is, where is the romance that I'm looking for? And again, as a married person, I can think that, that my marriage can give me that, but it, it cannot complete me. You know, Jerry Maguire, uh, he says uh, in the end of the movie, you complete me, and now, like, we're one, and now I'm 
finished. And that's not true. Uh, no matter how great a relationship you have, and I have a great relationship, um, but there's always a longing for more. Uh, Andre Tarkovsky, a great art critic, said that all art is born from an insatiable longing. And, and so is all spirituality. It is born out of this longing, an inconsolable longing that you feel a lot of times, like I said, in the mountains. Or I was walking down the, the ocean by the beach, looking out. The, the ocean gives me this longing. Like there's, this is not all there is. It's like a nostalgia. It's kind of like I miss home. I don't know if you went to camp uh, when you were younger for a week. First time you left home. I didn't go to camp, but I went with my friend on a vacation when I was little. And I remember as we were driving away from my house, I just felt this ache. Like I want to be home. I missed home. Um, I remember when I first... Uh, was getting to know Margie, my wife, and um, she left an answering machine on my message. She was in Winston-Salem, and I was in Winston-Salem. I didn't know she was there, and hearing the answering machine message just caused an ache in my heart. Or when, you, when I'm doing a wedding, I see a groom's face, and the bride is coming down the aisle. I sense that same thing, that longing, that yearning, that no love, no amount of eros in this life can give us, but we have that. And remember, we love these rascals.